Welcome to the Awesomers.com podcast. If you love to learn, and if you're motivated to expand your mind, and heck, if you desire to break through those traditional paradigms and find your own version of success, you are in the right place. Awesomers around the world are on a journey to improve their lives and the lives of those around them. We believe in paying it forward, and we fundamentally try to live up to the great Zig Ziglar quote, where he said, you can have everything in your life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. It doesn't matter where you came from, it only matters where you're going. My name is Steve Simonson, and I hope you will join me on this awesomer journey. If you're launching a new product manufactured in China, you will need professional, high-resolution, Amazon-ready photographs. Because Simo Global has a team of professionals in China, you will oftentimes receive your listings photographs before your product even leaves the country. This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more, because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. This is episode number 37 of the Awesomers.com podcast series. And all you have to do to find the relevant show notes and details is go to Awesomers.com slash 37. As always, that's Awesomers.com backslash 37. Now, today we're doing another one of the live live shows, what we call back talk shows. And this is where folks like you have submitted questions either in advance or you ask them live. And we try to field those questions, and we also discuss a little bit of the news. So at the top of the show, I talk about some of the newsworthy items that are happening, especially as it relates to e-commerce and Amazon sellers, and how some of those issues may be affecting different uh, entrepreneurs and awesomers out there in the world that we live in. Uh, then we go on to answer some of the questions and deal with some of the ongoing issues that that many entrepreneurs are facing, especially, again, e-commerce entrepreneurs that are focused on Amazon as a cornerstone business, that Amazon marketplace being so powerful, yet, just like anything that's big, there's little issues that need to, you know, have the kinks worked out of it. And so as much as I really love and appreciate the opportunity to sell on Amazon and other marketplaces, but particularly Amazon because it's so large, I'm a big advocate for trying to get those little wrinkles ironed out. And there are some pretty significant wrinkles and some blind spots, honestly, in Amazon's uh, world that we want to help shine the light on a little bit. And again, as always, we keep the dolphins safe and get the bad fish out of the ecosystem, right? Save the dolphins. Make sure that, you know, as they're sweeping the nets through and getting rid of all the criminals and all the bad guys out there trying to hack our accounts and steal our money and steal our listings and, you know, sell customers counterfeit stuff. They, they Amazon has a full-time job chasing these types of people. And so we understand that sometimes dolphins get caught up in the nets. We just want to try to prevent it to the greatest extent possible. So I'm glad you're here today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you want to be a part of our future talk back or back talk, as we like to call it, episodes, don't hesitate to get involved with our email list or follow us on Facebook. And we'll share some of those upcoming times where we're doing future episodes just like this one. All right. Welcome, Awesomers. We're coming back uh, for another live podcast episode. Today, we're going to do both a live broadcast on Facebook Live. That's right there. And we're also doing a Zoom uh, live over there. And we will use the Zoom uh, to make the the uh, actual episode. So you, when you see this later, uh, or even just hear this on the podcast uh, for Awesomers.com, you will hear just the voice, and that will be coming from the Zoom uh, just in case you 
happen to see it one place or the other. So um, I, I want to start with a little bit of news today. If you guys have questions, you can put them in the Facebook Live or you can put them in the Zoom chat and I will get to those. I'm going to start out with just a little bit of news just to make sure that everybody's kind of up to date on some of the things that are happening, at least that caught my attention. There's always lots of things happening, but you never know what's going to catch uh, your attention versus my attention, etc. So first of all, uh, for anybody who's used FBA Ford or considered using FBA Ford, uh, it should not be a surprise at this stage that they've closed their doors. They've gone out of business, and that's not good news for any of us. Uh, FBA Forward uh, was a um, shipping company. They provided uh, freight forwarding type services. They provided a third-party logistics center, and they even provided kind of FBA preparation type of services. And there's a lot of these types of companies, and they vary in terms of size and their ability to conduct business and obviously carry on. So FBA Forward closed down recently. And now customers are having trouble getting their shipments and getting their um, inventory. So as one example, one customer reports, hey, I sent the money to FBA Forward long ago, and they haven't shipped my product yet. In fact, they, the supplier is going, hey, where's the money? I, I'm ready to release this stuff. And that's a big problem, obviously, if you sent the money and had the, the product shipped and now you can't get your money back. So one of the big uh, takeaways is to be sure that the resources you're using have the financial stability to conduct business. And this is, it's one of those things that people don't pay much attention to until they face the, the challenge itself. And that challenge, of course, is the fact that the, the company went out of business and they don't have any um, you know, money to, to conduct business. Now, this this in itself doesn't sound like a big deal, but if you just spent a thousand, two thousand, five thousand dollars for um, a shipment to be shipped, and then they disappear with your money, you are well in the business uh, and the legal parlance, uh, if I'm not mistaken, is screwed and glued. You are screwed and glued. So, uh, you know, my heart goes out to those folks. I've been caught up in that kind of uh, stuff before, and again, part of the lesson is to make sure that you are extra careful and make sure that the resources you use are um, they have the financial resource to conduct business. So the other uh, scenario that's being faced with FBA forward customers is there is inventory stuck inside their warehouse. And the good news is uh, the, the folks there, obviously they didn't want to go out of business. You know, nobody did this on purpose that, you know, there's some of the, I don't know, some of the, the internet trolls out there are like, hey, this is just another one of those get rich quick guys and you know they're just scamming people. I, I'm, I'm confident that these people were trying to do business the best way they could. I'm trying uh, that they were doing their very best and they just they didn't have the liquidity to conduct and carry on business. That's bad news, it doesn't help anybody, but I don't think they did it in a nefarious way. And they have now decided to help customers get their stuff out of the FBA Ford warehouse by referring people to a company called Ship Calm, Ship Calm, C-A-L-M, which is, I find very interesting, actually, because the, the very idea that Calm <laughs> is uh, being brought to this uh, particular situation seems uh, appropriate. So for those, anybody who's got stock in FBA Ford and is trying to get that stock out and actionable, uh, you can email ShipCalm by using this email address, fbaforward at shipcalm.com. Uh, to start a resolution process. I don't know how they're going to get it done. I'm not sure the level of cooperation that's happening, but if FBA Ford's out of business, you need your stock. The last thing you want to do is have them or the landlord seize that inventory. 
And I should be very clear, the landlord has the right to seize inventory under certain bankruptcy laws. And so I want to make sure that everybody just gets in there as quick as they can and gets that inventory out of there as quick as they can as well. Uh, this is a big, uh, big, fat, hairy deal. So if you've already sent, uh, spent money, it's going to be hard to recover the money, uh, but try to recover your stock and, and do your very best to, to get these um, issues resolved as quick as you can. Whoever is there first is likely to get the most action. Whoever's there last is likely to get the raw end of the deal. So let's uh, be sure we pay close attention to that. Uh, one other note that I found interesting is that Etsy, um, you know, they have a, a buyer review section just like Amazon, but they've just started to incorporate in the last uh, couple of weeks uh, buyer photos into the review process in a more comprehensive way. So uh, anybody who's got products on Amazon is familiar with this idea that, you know, a buyer can leave a review and they can insert videos or, or photographs. And Etsy has had that functionality since probably about 2015 for the photos. But they're now incorporating those buyer photos in the review process in a more uh, compelling way, I would say. And that uh, not only are they doing that, one of the things I think is most interesting is Etsy has offered the ability for shop owners to remove unflattering uh, or otherwise inappropriate images that the buyers have submitted. So that, that's kind of a really interesting level of control that is a big contrast to Amazon, right? Um, Amazon, for example, doesn't have the, this capability for the sell side, the seller, to interfere or interface at all with uh, reviews. Yet Etsy is allowing uh, buyers to go ahead and uh, upload the photo, and then a seller can say, you know what, that's not a great photo. I want that thing removed. Uh, and I, I just think that's a very interesting thing. It, it does show as a, as a potential that, you know, maybe Amazon could, could give us some controls. There's some reviews. We've, we've had buyers leave video reviews that were totally off topic and just selling a competitor's product. I mean, it was just nakedly um, against the rules. And even when we reported it, nothing happened. Uh, Amazon is a uh, stickler when it comes to uh, sellers inter interfering with reviews or getting involved with reviews. And that, that brings us to the great review purge of 2018, which continues. The, the third wave of review deletions and uh, the purge is happening, and it feels extra visceral right now, I believe. Right now, I think there's a, uh, an inordinate amount of reviews being uh, removed from ASINs right around the, you know, every category. I haven't seen it in any particular category. We've seen it across a broad range of products. Um, and one of the challenges that we have right now is this idea is we don't know why they're uh, purging these reviews. In many cases, the the folks who are involved have, by, by the way, I've had, you know, most, many of my ASINs, I, I, I haven't looked at every single one, but many of my active ASINs have had all the reviews uh, completely uh, deleted. And we're not sure why. We haven't done any sort of incentivized re reviews. Um, one of the businesses I bought about a year ago, so I, I really don't know everything they did before. And so I want to be sure that everybody kind of understands that this Amazon review purge is happening. We don't know... We don't know all the particulars of how it's happening or how they're deciding what reviews to to get rid of, but we do know that it's it seems to be in response to continued media pressure. Uh, if we look back in history, we can talk about the fact that 
back in 2012, Amazon had a big uh, review purge that was based on the book category. And it was uh, some press that Amazon got that basically said, hey, here's how authors are completely manipulating the Amazon review process. Now, most FBA sellers, especially if you've come along uh, in the, the ASM world, you probably weren't selling on Amazon back in 2012. Um, but for those of us who were, we remember this. And the book review purge was definitely something. Uh, hey, Brendan, how are you, buddy? Good to see you. Um, the, the book reviewers were doing things that were you know, against terms of service and, and definitely would be considered manipulative, um, at least according to the allegations in the, the press. And I think this was the New York Times. And so Amazon dug in and they kind of got rid of those. And that was, you know, that was what it was at that time. That was way back in 2012. In 2016, we remember in response to another press story, which I, again, uh, credit to the New York Times, Amazon discontinued incentivized reviews. What it appears to me and several of those that are, are speculating is the fact that Amazon is now retroactively scanning old ASINs and bumping out reviews that may have been incentivized. So even back before it was quote unquote outlawed or against Amazon's rules, when they allowed you to use um, giveaways to do incentivized reviews, they are now getting rid of those too. Now I, it's not universal. We've seen some of it that still exists, but we we have a sense that the way that they're rolling out this um, algorithm to go look for these bad reviews or these reviews that don't meet their criteria, and they this is a moving target, by the way, we think that they are rolling it out in certain, um, certain ways that are conducive to their own ends. So, for example, if you have an ASIM with uh, a high threshold of reviews, perhaps as compared to reviews of, with other ASINs in that, that particular product category, Amazon may be scrutinizing that in a more serious way, even if you know, that's, that's all legitimate reviews. And I, I still truly believe that Amazon is getting a lot of false positives with their algorithm. I do think that there are Amazon reviews that were posted, they were legitimate, they were by a regular customer, and they are still being removed. And in some ways, we think it's because Amazon is comparing your ASIN level compared to the other ASINs in the category. So if you had a review percentage of, let's say, 10%, and everybody else has an average of 2%, you're going to get potentially not just uh, reviews deleted, but you are going to get potentially throttled as it, as it compares. And we've seen this throttling happening. To, to us, it's so arbitrary because good marketers can get more reviews than bad marketers without breaking any rules, by the way. And we just wish that Amazon would, would pay closer attention to this. So this feels like the, it's the, major, the third major wave of this review smackdown that's happening so far in 2018. And I don't know if you guys are seeing it. Uh, again, you're welcome to comment or post questions and we'll try to get to those. Particularly if you're in the Zoom, uh, the chat section in the Zoom is easier for me to uh, respond to, by the way. Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, congratulations on your success to date. Your creativity, strategic vision, problem solving, and discipline have allowed you to build your own e-commerce business. Wouldn't it be great if you had more time to focus on the things that truly drive the sales and growth of your company? Instead of getting lost in a dozen different services and countless spreadsheets, what if there was one system that connected to your Amazon account and automatically gave you the information that you needed to make great decisions and really impact your business? Parsimony ERP can do that. 
that. Parsimony is the business operating system for your marketplace business. With Parsimony, you get true double entry bookkeeping, easy financial statements, full customer service tools, and item by item profitability, along with project and task management, and more features are being added all the time. Learn more at parsimony.com. That's parsimony, P A R S I M O N Y.com. Parsimony.com. We've got that. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Okay, so again, we're back. Uh, thanks for everybody who's joining live. We're on the awesomers.com podcast, and we are going to do just some a little bit more news, and then we're going to take some live questions, uh, and I've got a couple questions in the queue already as well. So if you have questions, get them in the Facebook live chat or the Zoom chat, and I'll get to them as quick as I can. So just to summarize again on the, the, the annoying review purge that Amazon is doing, I don't know what you can do. There are ways you can file cases, and you can you know, try to get those reinstated. I would certainly encourage sellers, if you are facing a you know, review smackdown, go ahead and take the time, make a case, you know, and, and make your case well, why you're being unfairly targeted, for example. I don't know what Amazon's next move is, but I assume it's going to be more seller smackdowns, uh, certainly related to reviews. It, it, the general sense is that um, Amazon is not interested in reviews in general and we've seen products with thousands and thousands of reviews go back to zero i do want to say there there have been some allegations from sellers that say hey amazon's just doing this to enhance their own brands they're doing this to allow their own brands to gain an advantage over the the quote-unquote marketplace sellers okay i guess it's literally marketplace sellers i didn't have to add the quotes the point is these allegations uh, are just speculation at this time my my suggestion to you is if you really do have an example where your product went to zero in reviews, so Amazon took your product down to zero and their product went up, for example, in the rankings, and we've seen this where they're positioning their own product uh, against you know, existing marketplace sellers, if you feel that they're unfairly giving their own brands an advantage, their own products, even if it's a Whole Foods product, Go ahead and send us, you know, state your case. Send it to awesomers.com slash contact. You can go to that website and, uh, you know, upload your case. Include screenshots that, you know, help you uh, uh, demonstrate your, your point. And we're going to investigate some of those claims. And, um, you know, I, I don't think Amazon is doing this in a nefarious way. I don't think they're coordinated enough between departments to have, you know, this department over here that's responsible for selling their own private label stuff, you know, the, the new Amazon brands that they're selling. There's over 100 Amazon brands for those keeping score at home. I don't think that department is coordinating with the review department. I, I honestly don't. And maybe it's just me being uh, an optimist or naive, but I don't think that Amazon is having a coordinated effort across departments to thwart uh, marketplace sellers. I think they're independent operations. Now, the guys responsible to sell Amazon private label products, believe it, they're in it to win it, right? Their metrics, their incentivized uh, pay and so forth from Amazon, that's going to be focused on them making that product move. So any advantage they can get, I'm sure they would take it. But I don't think Amazon will allow them to collude, for example, with the review department to say, hey, let's take down a bunch of these old crappy reviews that, that we think are you know, less than valuable, it doesn't make sense for Amazon to allow that sort of behavior. So my, my point is, if you really do believe this and you can make a case for it, we have an attorney looking into this stuff. 
Um, I, I still don't think there's a good faith, good faith basis to bring this, but if you do, state your case, go to awesomers.com slash contact, and we'll help uh, kind of get a look into this. And I'm not saying we're going to fund your case, uh, but if we see this happening, then we'll try to shine the light on it. So again, if you're facing reviews being deleted willy-nilly and ad hoc, it's happening to a lot of people across a broad set of categories. I, uh, I wish it wasn't happening, but it is happening. So we can only deal with it and react accordingly. Um, by the way, in a, in a seemingly unrelated story, uh, as of last Friday, Netflix has discontinued their user reviews and wiped out 10 years worth of reviews, which I find fascinating. And maybe this is, uh, this is big companies telling us that, that the user feedback and the user stuff uh, is not as valuable as it, as it once was. I don't know. But Amazon killing reviews is not helpful to anybody who's in the Amazon marketplace business. So welcome again, everybody on Facebook Live. Uh, welcome if you're on the Zoom. And uh, I'm trying to keep track of both screens. Actually, I have three screens going. And I'm thrilled to have any of you guys here. We are on the awesomers.com podcast today. This will be a Backtalk Live episode that we'll release in the upcoming weeks. And uh, all of you have the chance to participate by just entering a question here. And so I, I recommend if you do have a question that you want to get to, into the queue, please enter that now. And you can put it in the uh, Facebook comments. I'll figure out how to read those if I can. And then uh, I'm also scanning for the Zoom questions as well. So one more piece of news. And this is one of those things that I just dislike immensely. And I, I uh, left a, or I made a podcast episode earlier about watching out for scammers. Well, here's another um, scammer potential. So the Federal Trade Commission has charged uh, Jesse Connors Tevia, I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, who is one of the, uh, epi one of the first season apprentice uh, contestants way back in 2004, and her husband, Matthew Tevia, for running a large business opportunity scheme called Seller's Playbook. Now, it was back in late July that the FTC filed charges against the couple. And to me, the, this is just such a, disgusting scenario because there's so many people out there talking about get rich quick schemes and all this other stuff. And I, I don't like it because it's predatory behavior against entrepreneurs. And I, I dislike predators who just prey on entrepreneurs. And I, I, I want to warn people about this sort of thing. So this particular um, uh, company was based in Minnesota and they made false and unsubstantiated claims, which is what the FTC calls it telling prospective customers, you know, how much money they could make and profit. And, and they were selling something called the seller's playbook, which, you know, was uh, all about becoming a marketplace seller and so forth. Now there's plenty of very reputable and very good training courses out there. Um, I've seen a number of them and can recommend those, but you know, there's so many more that are just pure predators and I want people to watch out for it. So if you haven't heard about that, um, you can take a look and you can go search for it. The FTC has filed charges. Uh, they claim that they're legit. Obviously, they have their own side of the story. Uh, but the FTC has, uh, you know, rarely filed charges when they don't have a lot of evidence. That said, they can make mistakes too. So we'll see how that one goes. So that's, that's just a little bit of news for you. Uh, this FBA forward situation, if you're caught up in it, Remember, email fbaforward at shipcom.com to try to get your inventory out of that third-party warehouse. If you need third-party warehouses, don't hesitate to reach out to the team at empowery.com. They can help you find some reputable sources that uh, can help you out. And, uh, and let's continue on to some questions now. 
All right, I'm going to switch gears and get uh, some questions. Uh, one of our first questions comes in, and um, it's from Ina, and she just asked this question a little bit earlier on the Facebook group, and she says, perhaps this is related to the review question, by the way, she says, is it best to stop follow-up emails altogether? She points out that she currently sends out two per sale. So Amazon is really taking an aggressive posture on you sending review emails. But there's this dichotomy of Amazon behaviors that we can't quite reconcile. So on one hand, they say, hey, here's some, here's some services that will help you send out professional emails after the fact that they put into their ecosystem, or at least show that these uh, resources are available, many of which I like and, and would recommend. And then on the other hand, they're like, hey, you shouldn't be emailing your customers unless it's you know, something really critical about your order. This implies that they don't want you to email asking for product reviews, feedback, or other types of things like that. Whereas in other places, they say it's okay to ask for feedback. So this is one of those Amazon, I don't know, paradoxes that they tell you one thing, they do another. We don't know what the answer is. I would say that the general nature of the, the state of the union at Amazon is to be very careful with, with follow-up emails. Be very careful indeed. Uh, two at this stage is probably on the risky side, and it depends on what's in the content of those two emails, in my opinion. Now, I do want to take a break here to just say, I could be wrong. This is all speculation. I don't know nothing about nothing. That's axiom zero. So feel free to ignore any of this. But my sense of it is that if you send out two emails, they better be highly, highly relevant to that particular product order. So the more it can be related to the ASIN, so for example, maybe it's a how to uh, set this up or some specific instructions that help somebody be more successful uh, using that ASIN, uh, that product that they purchased, fine, but make it highly ASIN uh, related. And you can do that with some of the more sophisticated systems. The email follow-up sequence can be vectored based on what the product uh, that the customer ordered. It should also be relevant about the product's eminent delivery or recent delivery. You wanna make sure you know, everything looks good. Those types of messages are going to be a little safer. If you say anything about a product review, I think you open yourself up to potential for trouble. Uh, asking for feedback as of now is still okay. Um, and the, the more you do that through Amazon's email, the more I think you open yourself up to, to scrutiny from Amazon later. In my opinion, and again, this is just speculation, but Amazon, anything in their system they're running algorithms and machine learning and artificial intelligence programs just to figure out what sellers are doing. And then later, they decide how, uh, how well they like that. <laughs> I know that sounds uh, crazy, but it is my, my firm belief, particularly as it relates to the reviews, that Amazon is using a time machine and going back and saying, look at these reviews from two, three, four years ago. All of them at the end, they have this little thing that says, <coughs> excuse me, they have this little thing that says, uh, you know, I was uh, provided a free product in exchange for a review. Now, it does say an unbiased review typically, and it's supposed to be an unbiased review, but I think any review with those is highly susceptible to being deleted either already or in the future. And I know I, I, I regularly have feedback from Amazon sellers who say, oh, no, no, I've been doing this for for two years, three years, four years, and I've never had a problem. And that's cool. 
you know, I, I, I'm glad that you haven't had a problem. But that doesn't mean that other people won't have a problem. It doesn't mean that, that you might not have a problem in the future. And one of the most important things about Amazon, in my view, to remember is that, you know, there's so many departments that they can change rules between departments um, and, and categories. So maybe something that works in cell phone category is not going to work in the beauty category, for example. There are vast rule differences and, and even display differences and so on and so forth. So just because something worked at one time doesn't mean it's going to work in the future. And just because something works in one category doesn't mean it's going to work in the future. I know that's not particularly great news, uh, but that's the way it is. Uh, okay, so uh, somebody also asked if uh, that is, yeah, I'm definitely at, a, at an angle there. That's hard to watch. Huh, how about that? Um, so the, the, the final thing I want to say is, uh, uh, particularly as it relates to the follow-up sequence, is if you're doing a follow-up sequence, make sure it is highly, highly relevant. Uh, that's the, the last uh, little bit there. Um, okay, so another uh, person asked, uh, Mahish asked, uh, has anyone used Amazon's giveaway promotions? Are they worth it? So this is something that is still working. Uh, Amazon has their giveaways, and although they're ratcheting down some of the usages of it, I still think Amazon giveaways are a viable method to help generate awareness and, and get some uh, bestseller ranking. Uh, when you do a, a a giveaway, especially if you do them in a particular way, they can be effective for you. And uh, I do, in fact, think they could be worth it. So I, I think that's a very uh, good question. If you guys haven't already used Amazon giveaways, I highly uh, recommend that you take a look at it. And the way that you do it and the way you set it up is very, um, it can be done in different ways. Let me say it this way. And when you do it in different ways, it's important that you do it carefully. And when you think about doing an Amazon giveaway, your mission is to, you know, generate brand awareness, you know, maybe give away some product, but ultimately is to drive a little bit of uh, ranking with your product, ideally. Uh, that ranking comes from the immediate sales boost that you get from that giveaway, but it doesn't last long. And so you really have to think about how you're going to do some other things marketing wise, maybe doing some Facebook marketing to drive people in to buy your product to help that product rank. As always, you know, your main mission is to get onto page one of the A9 algorithm, and you do that by getting it to rank up. And there are so many things that are important to getting that product onto page one, and they include uh, relevancy, right? Is, it, is the product relevant? They include, um, you know, bestseller ranking. They include, you know, probably conversion rate and, and general interest. There's a number of signals that, again, we speculate about. Amazon doesn't publish what's... Uh, what it's about, but they we speculated about um, what what makes these things go. So uh, that's a fair question. Um, I, I did want to give a shout out to Clint Heaton. Uh, he posted uh, his experience of getting onto brand registry in only 109 days, and this is something that we've talked about before. And and I want to just uh, again give a special shout out to Clint and and remind people that when you use other countries to get that trademark process faster. Sometimes you can get into brand register quicker than waiting for the U.S. Uh, Patent and Trade Office to get back to you. The USPTO is, um, I don't know, famously slow. What can I tell you? And it just takes an awful long time to get things done there. Uh, whereas you can go to other countries that are within a select group for Amazon, and they will use that faster trademark registry 
to put you on brand registry 2.0. And of course, that is a very important point if you're going to have reasonable brand protections is to get that brand registry. Now, I will say that there are some important things that are coming up with brand registry that will be enhancements. Uh, I can't get, go into all the details. I uh, There's some things that are happening that, that uh, I've been, they've shared it with me, but I'm not allowed to share with you. But I, I just will say it's going to be better. And if you're not already going down the process of getting trademarks and getting brand registered, you're making a big mistake. If you really want to control your brand. Now, again, this doesn't apply to retail arbitrage. You can't control somebody else's brand. But if it's your brand, you should get on brand registry and you should get a trademark so that you can do everything that you can to protect that. We have a lot of examples of of hijackers going in and editing listings. And we're not just saying they change a photo or they change a description or bullet point. They change the, your brand name, right? The, the, we have uh, one example, a very good friend of mine. He hasn't uh, agreed to be named, so I'm not going to name him here. But he's had a hijacker go in and they're selling through Vendor Central and they've literally changed the brand name on the product. So when he makes a complaint and he says, hey, Amazon, this product uh, has been edited. They're like, uh, show me your brand page. So he shows them his brand page and they say, no, no, that's not the right brand. See, the brand name's different. So it's like this, this spinning um, you know, whack-a-mole routine and, and it's a lot like Keystone Cops, I have to say. Now, I, I want to give Amazon credit. They're trying to do the right thing. Uh, you know, most often, they're, they have processes that are meant to help the, the good guys, but the bad guys figure out how to manipulate those uh, processes, and then they get into the, the business, and they just start whacking and whacking and whacking the, the good sellers. So to Amazon, I would say, please, try to get less dolphins in your net and get rid of the bad fish without killing us dolphins. We're the good guys. And... Uh, if you haven't, as a seller, taken the initiative to get a trademark going, uh, consider using another country to accelerate it. By the way, if you do file in the U.S., um, and I, I most often will file in the U.S., there is a, a way to petition for an emergency um, or urgent request to, to speed up the process. And a hijacker, by the way, is a legitimate reason to consider that urgency. And so I do know of similar brand registry stories, including in the U.S., in less than the you know, 6, 9, 12 months process. So if you're selling, get a trademark. Whichever way you prefer to get it the fastest, I, I think is fine. Uh, I do recommend, uh, again, I have no affiliate relationship here, uh, but krinternetlaw.com. That's krinternetlaw.com. That's Carl Cronenberger's uh, firm and his team. Uh, Jenny, the whole outfit, they're really smart. They're great people and they understand, you know, the U.S. trademark process. I, I always use attorneys to do trademarks. One, uh, I'm too lazy to do it myself. But really, the most important reason is the method that you document in your trademark registration, the, the exact words that you use and how you apply for the specific class is more complex than people realize. And if you're going to register, particularly in the United States, I recommend you get it right. And it's not that expensive, and it's you know relatively painless for you. You have to answer questions for the attorney, and you have to kind of defend the process and, and the concept, especially if you're filing with the urgency. But man, oh man, they're far better at it than, than I am, and I suspect they're far better at it than most of the average sellers out there as well. 
Uh, okay, so for the live audience who's apparently watching me sideways, my apologies. Uh, I tried to switch it, and then the camera told me to rotate my camera. So uh, my apologies. It will be right side up on the, the replay for the podcast. So we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back on the awesomers.com podcast. That's how fast the break is, everybody. That's uh, amazing uh, editing there. So when you do get to um, watch this later and hear this later on the Awesomers podcast, so first it goes live on audio. You can go to iTunes, Stitcher. I don't know where people find podcasts. I, I just use my iPhone. But wherever your favorite podcast place is, uh, if it's not there, let us know. Go to awesomers.com slash contact and let us know if we haven't found your, your favorite uh, podcast platform. We want to be on there. We want to make it easy for you. So that's the audio version that drops first. And then later we drop video versions and we'll put those in various places that you'll find later. So uh, again, uh, I want to just give a shout out to Clint for sharing his experience uh, going through the UK. And it, it's a nice way to accelerate it uh, if, you, if you can't get it done. I do want to uh, remind people that if you're going to file for trademarks, there is an urgent methodology that you can use. And if you're getting beaten down by hijackers, that is a very good example of urgent. Um, okay, so we had another. Um, okay, so George asked recently, what's the best way to report or alert Amazon to someone uh, getting clearly fake reviews? And my gosh, uh, I, I honestly, uh, we, we've tried to report some of the, the reviews that we've seen competitors um, have, and, and we've never seen it be effective. There, there is a process uh, with each individual review, you can report it and make it uh, market as suspicious or whatever. I've never seen anything that was what I would call viable or reliable as a methodology to report these uh, fake reviews. I do find it maddening, and I, I wonder if you guys agree. Let me know if you agree that our reviews are being deleted wholesale, like uh, it's a going out of business sale on reviews and they're selling them to somebody and they appear to be selling them to guys who are launching new products. These appear to be Chinese sellers and they're, they're launching new products and within days, two days, three days, they have 700 reviews. And yet my reviews have throttles on them or otherwise being completely destroyed. So I find that to be maddening. Uh, let me know if you agree. Definitely it's something that's a, you know extraordinary to me. So. Uh, George, to answer your question, I don't know the best way to, um, you know, kind of share somebody's getting a fake review benefit because everything we've tried to do has not worked. Uh, bear with me just a moment. <coughs> I did not want to talk this much today, apparently. So I'm just back from a cruise, everybody. And uh, this is my first day back, but I'm always anxious to hang out with entrepreneurs and I love sellers. And uh, so today we're answering some of your questions. If you have live questions, get them in now. If you do not have live questions, uh, I'm just going to keep uh, going into some that were already submitted. Uh, so uh, some, a newer seller asks, hey, I want to change my account uh, from individual to professional. And my advice is just go to Seller Central and uh, make those changes. And if you can't figure it out, just file a case. Uh, you know, as a new person, you should use the seller support as often as you can and get introduced to the majesty that is uh, inconsistent answers. <laughs> but uh, the, those types of questions are best uh, for seller support. And anybody who's a new seller, you should always use uh, the seller central as your primary method of looking for information, in my opinion. 
And anything you can't find there, that's when you come and you jump onto the Facebook groups and ask uh, uh, advanced sellers. So um, uh, Betty, I think, I don't know how to pronounce this, but she asked, she says she's based in Germany and she's curious if any other international members, uh, particularly in Germany, are uh, selling into the United States or internationally in general. And I would just tell you, there's a lot of sellers who sell across border. This cross border trade is happening more and more. And Amazon is one of the big reasons why. Amazon and marketplaces like Amazon, uh, Newegg, Rakuten, uh, the list goes on and on. They've helped cross border trade because they made the, the acquisition of the customer so much easier. And uh, there are lots of ways that you can be in you know, one particular location and sell them to other locations. The complications, of course, start coming in when you start talking about VAT compliance or the concept of sales tax compliance and, and these other types of things. So there are a series of complications that go along with that, but generally those happen after you reach certain sales thresholds. Uh, my best advice on this is probably to do a test and you know, do a relatively small test. If you need to, some registrations to, uh, to do that test, then it's probably worth it to do those registrations. But if you're going to sell across borders, be sure that you understand how to get the product into the country, like the import rules and restrictions, particularly as it relates to VAT, GST, or other types of tax collection, or even just tax reporting. So for example, to import into the United States, you're generally going to need an EIN number. This is an employer identification number, also called a TIN number, taxpayer identification number. It's the same number, by the way. And any international seller can go onto the IRS website and get a, a taxpayer ID number very quickly. It, it literally wouldn't take more than, than 10 minutes of information. Now, that simplicity is you know, just the beginning of your life with the IRS. So make sure that you understand when you bring in stuff they're trying to make sure that they, they collect customs and uh, make you the importer of record and things like that. So without that, you generally are not going to be able to import, excuse me for swiping there, without your ability to import into the country, then you're dead in the water, right? Then you have to ship stuff in from outside of the country, which you can do. It's just not, it's not as good as shipping through, for example, an FBA center. So if you have product in stock in FBA, you're always going to have a better customer experience. You're going to be higher ranked in the algorithm. Uh, all those types of things are going to be better for you. And I would highly recommend if you're going to sell on Amazon, be an FBA center. If you're going to sell in uh, you know, a foreign country, whether it's you know, the U.S. is foreign to you, or if you are uh, selling into Germany, for example, uh, from you know, uh, a different place, you are the foreign seller selling in. Make sure that you know how to get the product imported without the ability to clear customs and pay appropriate taxes, duties, tariffs, VATs, whatever it is, then you're dead in the water. If you want to test, now one method people are testing right now is they're doing cross-border trade and they're shipping directly, say, from China, wherever it is in the world. And uh, the Empowery team just helped a couple uh, prospective members and members line up some really powerful e-packet resources. And so this is one method that people do is they set up a website, they put in, you know, five, 10, I don't know, a thousand products, 10,000 products even. Um, and they put those in a Shopify site or similar e-commerce site. WooCommerce can work with a WordPress uh, 
platform. And they put all these products on the site, they put in the uh, shopping cart, and then they allow the customer to just buy it and it'll ship directly from China. And the way this works is um, the, the e-packet will you know, get packed and shipped from China and then mailed directly to the customer in whatever country they're in. And generally, I think e-packet works in 30 or 40 uh, countries roughly with relatively predictable delivery uh, service. And it's, it's also quite inexpensive. In many cases, it's cheaper for you to mail a package from China via e-packet than it is to come in from the United States just domestically. Uh, so domestic first class is going to be a lot more than e-packer from China most of the time, which is uh, crazy uh, in many ways. But, you know, use it if you can, I suppose. So when you think about cross-border trade, think about it from the perspective of, am I going to have product in, you know, the country? That's obviously the best customer experience. Or am I going to ship it from outside the, the country? And I'll give you an example. In Europe, when we were testing some of our products, we just went to Amazon in Germany and Italy and France and, and UK and so forth, Spain even. And we just put up the, the SKU and then we shipped it from the United States just by regular mail. It was expensive. It was a relatively expensive item. But we we got a sense of, do, does anybody care? Can we get this to rank? Uh, you know, how is it going to perform? And once we hit a certain sales level, we stopped mailing it and then put the product into there. Uh, that particular company didn't have a European uh, division at the time, so we had to start a European company. And then once you're inside of Europe, once you landed inside of Europe, you can basically ship it around relatively easy. You don't have to clear customs, but you still then have to consider what are the VAT ramifications within each country. And I can tell you that the war on, you know, small sellers will continue to rage on because all of these countries think that, you know, we're, we're kind of the, the problem, that, that somehow we're subverting taxes or whatever. And the reality is if they would just make it easy on us, it would be fine to get involved with whatever their tax scheme is. But they, they make it so complex that it's, it's very, very difficult. So I do want to uh, recommend that people, you know, test it, tread lightly, and be sure that you know the rules. I generally will hire an accounting firm that's a specialty in a particular region or zone or can handle a large series of zones. For example, um, often we'll hire a, an accountancy firm in the UK that can handle all of Europe or an accountancy firm in North America that can handle, you know, Canada, the US, and uh, Mexico. And in some cases, we've hired, you know, big five firms that can handle the global scene. Uh, but man, oh man, their billing rates are insane. So uh, the, generally, the more you can find a specialist in the area, the better off you'll be. Again, uh, Empowery has a bunch of really great uh, help in this particular category, at least for ke keeping track of the books, not necessarily the VAT advice up front, but uh, I would highly recommend people checking that out. Um, okay, so one of the other questions is uh, that somebody said they don't know like they, they, their reviews have been deleted, but they don't know what to do about it. And I touched on this a little bit earlier, but I'm going to dive in just a little bit more and, and recommend to people, if you're not already cataloging your Amazon product reviews, catalog them. For goodness sake, catalog them before they're all deleted. And then that gives you the chance to go back with a, um, you know, a bit of evidence and say, hey, here's all my reviews. Here's the, the URL they came from. And that allows you to you know, fight back and go, you know, why was this review deleted? Why was that review deleted? And that's 
you know, that's a recommendation I would give anybody. Make sure you catalog those. There's a, a number of methods to do that. Um, and Parsimony's working on a method uh, as well to help you guys do that as well. So I want to let you know that that is something that is very, very important. Uh, let's see here. I had a couple other questions. I'm just scanning, kind of answered that. Uh, we've already covered that. Uh, for those who are not using the headline search, I want to just make a, a special mention about this. So it used to be that you had to go through uh, AMS to get um, your access to the, the top of search, basically. And to, to get that headline search, you know, that banner, essentially, you can now access that through Amazon sponsored products. And this is a really um, powerful ad mechanism. It's something that I recommend people try out. It, it can be very, very effective, especially uh, to drive clicks and therefore awareness. So if you haven't tried that already, I would definitely recommend you do the headline search stuff. And, and I think there's a requirement that you have to have three items to do a particular type. And if you need to do that, then you, know, you can set up uh, ASINs with multiple SKUs or there's other ways to kind of get around that little requirement if you only have one item but hopefully you have more than one item. So, uh, okay, so I'm gonna do one last scan. Uh, I'm gonna do last call for questions, everybody, because we're, uh, we're running long here. And I know that my Facebook is still sideways, but uh, we're calling that a feature, not a bug today. And as I said earlier, uh, when you see this, when you hear it live, you won't know which direction I'm, I'm standing, vertical or horizontal. And uh, even in the future, when we release the video version of this, it will be, from the Zoom feed, which is right side up, everybody. Won't that be exciting? All right, so last call for questions while I scan for just one or two more that I had lined up here. Empowering, the name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do, because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Uh, okay, one, one of the questions came in is, how, do they, how does somebody uh, minimize or otherwise manage their, their uh, FBA storage fees? So first of all, many of you, if you've been managing your inventory well, you should see the new Amazon uh, indicator that shows uh, your your uh, your score, essentially. I forgot the exact name for it, but it's the Amazon Inventory Index or whatever that shows how well you're managing your inventory. And the higher turns you have, the more ability you have to put product in. So for example, we got an email on one of our accounts the other day and it said, hey, uh, good news for Q4, you have no limits, right? Which is really great um, because that gives us the opportunity to put in lots of products during the peak selling season." what's the downside of putting in lots of products in this peak selling season that you pay storage on them, right? And so FBA storage fees are really expensive and they need to be managed very, very carefully. And so when you think about the, the cubic foot, uh, the, the amount of space that you're taking in the Amazon um, warehouse, you're going to be paying for every cubic foot. So your number one bit of advice that I would give you is to take only what's going to sell over the course of that month. And this requires you to do some guesswork and forecasting and so forth. 
And you know, your worst case is you end up running out of stock and then it takes a little longer to get back in stock. But put about a month's worth of inventory. You can do a little bit more around the holidays anticipating the surge. And one of the, the challenges with this strategy is that yes, that makes more sense economically. And the best of us will always use just-in-time inventory, by the way. You know, th this idea that Amazon has suddenly come up with this new idea of where you have to land your inventory in one place or stage it as we call it, that's a staging warehouse and then put in shipments from time to time. This is not new to Amazon. This has been happening in logistics and inventory management since the dawn of time, honestly. It is an age-old mechanism to make sure that you're using the most efficient inventory movement possible. As FBA sellers, especially if you're less experienced, we get kind of a general, um, I don't know, we, we got accustomed to a, the, the simplicity of just sending it in without really having to think too much. And then when it's like, oh, now we have to pay for this stuff in an oppressive way, you know, this oppression began recently, maybe six months ago, where they said, hey, good news, we're going to start assessing long-term storage fees every month now. And that's, that's a nightmare, right? Because it's like, all right, I'll suck up, in the old days, you could say, I'll suck up the 12-month hit, and then I'm, I'm good for some more time, maybe six months or 12 months, depending on the time frame. And now it's like, no, no, every month, every day that goes by, you're assessing greater fees. So I really, really would encourage people to, to pay close attention and deploy, if you don't have your own warehouse, deploy a third-party warehouse to be that staging warehouse. Ideally, that warehouse can also send out individual uh, orders for you so you can sell into other channels as well. If that's not part of your mission, that's okay. But in any event, a staging warehouse will make financial sense the more inventory turns you have and the more inventory you have involved. That cubic space in Amazon, uh, this is one area, I, you know, I, the Amazon got a lot of guff for introducing that inventory index, but I say this is one of the good things that they've done. We should only want efficiency in that kind of uh, area. And I think the more efficiency that comes, the, the better off we'll all be in terms of business. I know it may sound counterintuitive to say they're charging us more, they're making us jump more hurdles, but really, if you can be good at inventory, and you can understand how to uh, move your product from you know, the manufacturer's origin all the way through to the customer in the most efficient ways, that's when you're going to uh, find the profit and maximize your, your opportunity. There's a lot of slop in the gears, so to speak, when you just do it the easy way and just send it directly into FBA and then just hope and pray that it sells over time. Uh, so one last uh, note, uh, somebody asked me about bots uh, this past week. And I definitely, I love the idea of using bots and I've seen some incredible bot flows. Uh, one of the bot flows that is um, highly effective for you guys is to send out one-time use coupons. Now I do want to put a little asterisk. Amazon seems less and less interested in one-time use coupons. They see that as a potential way that sellers are manipulating things. Uh, Amazon's perspective is, hey, if you're going to give that coupon, give it to everybody on Amazon. You know, you shouldn't just be giving it to one person. So they're starting to scrutinize promotions in a in a very particular way, and I would, I would just say to you to be careful about that. Uh, but when you use uh, chatbots, sending out one-time use coupons is a really effective way. And for those using ManyChat, you have to do kind of a Zapier and a you know kind of a connection. You pay for each Zap and so forth. Um, not that they're expensive, but if you want simplicity. I would definitely uh, go try to find the seller chatbot guys. Uh, they do have a many chat integration where it'll do all your uh, one-time use coupon stuff for you automatically, or you can just use that as your chatbot. Uh, 
and kill two birds with one stone. So a lot of opportunity there. That's something I really love. And full disclosure, I'm a, a silent little partner in that. So, uh, you know, I, I do have a ax to grind in that particular case. Um, okay, so if anybody has any uh, questions, I haven't seen them come in. So you guys are mostly just uh, listening today, which is okay with me. Uh, the other questions that have come in, I'm just getting to. Um, let's see. Uh, one one final series of questions that I've seen is everybody's always trying to get warehouses in California. And I think that's fine. Um, but just know that if you have a warehouse in California, your chance of, uh, particularly if it's not an Amazon warehouse. So I think that when we talk about the sales tax debate, and you can go to awesomers.com slash three. I believe that's the episode I had with Paul Raffleson. And we talk about sales taxes and the complexity of it. And I'm just going to touch on it here. But if you're selling on the Amazon marketplace and you're using FBA, it's less likely that you have um, Nexus. Now, I know there's plenty of guys who tell you you do have a Nexus. I listen to attorneys who know what they're talking about instead of guys who are selling sales tax software who have an ax uh, to grind. So um, I would, if you haven't already, go listen to awesomers.com backslash three to listen to Paul Raffleson. If you're getting beaten down by a state, by the way, contact him directly. No affiliate, anything like that. Contact his law firm directly, and maybe he can help you out. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm trying to turn the camera, Tyler. <laughs> I really do appreciate the feedback. I'm sorry I'm sideways for all you guys. I look, I look great on this camera, and, and I mean great. Very handsome, uh, suave, debonair, all of those things. But I know I'm sideways on you guys' uh, view. I apologize. When I try to turn the camera, Facebook tells me, rotate your camera. So I don't know what, what to tell you. My apologies on that. We will get the right one uploaded. So the point I bring this up is if, you are, if you're an FBA warehouse, that's one, one level of scrutiny about Nexus. If you are, have your own third-party warehouse, that's another level of uh, scrutiny for Nexus. And if you have the warehouse in, in California as a third-party logistics center, I think you increase your potential to have Nexus in California. And California is one of the most onerous and, uh, I, I have so many words I wanna use here, but I wanna try to keep it, uh, keep it clean. California is aggressive. Um, their, their collection techniques are mafia-like. Uh, their collectors are not qualified. They, they can't give you the legal basis on which you should pay your taxes. They just say, fill out this form. Once you fill out the form, you're kind of, uh, automatically admitting yourself into the system, which you should not do, in my opinion, and uh, blah, blah, blah. So I'm not going to go down the sales tax rabbit hole, except to say, if you focus on California, having your, your warehouses there, you're going to bring on that scrutiny and potentially bring on that nexus, whether you want it or not, uh, even for a marketplace business. And uh, beware of unintended consequences. That's another axiom. Um, last word. Uh, I know I said I was going to do this uh, on the last one, but I've been getting a lot of questions about people, you know, trying to sell their business and things like that. There is a ton of um, a ton of opportunity to sell an Amazon business, but I would recommend getting your books in order, making sure you have processes, making sure you have systems, getting yourself prepared. And there are lots of methods to do that, and getting on a path to getting that done over the course of time is important that you do it. Maybe you. You don't want to sell now, but you want to sell in two years. Why not get on the path now? And I would highly recommend uh, reaching out to the, the team at Empower. They have a couple resources to help you. If you're a big business, they've got a 
an investment banking firm that can help you. And if they've got a, a little business, they've got a kind of a main street uh, brokerage firm that can help you as well. And those getting on the right path to position your business to capture that equity is still one of my big important missions in life. Uh, Ted asked a question. Uh, have I used Flexport? And, uh, and the answer is I have used Flexport. Uh, he's faced uh, some, some issues and some deals. Um, uh, Ted, my best advice is to uh, contact the team over at Empowery. There's a couple. Um, oh, uh, Tyler asked an important question. How do you reach out to the team at Empowery? Good question. Uh, if you guys go to Empowery.com, uh, there's a contact method there. And th there's a number of people there uh, on that full-time team. Um, but I, Ted, some of the resources there that have been uh, put together to help you on international freight may be able to help you. Um, I've had um, generally positive experiences with Flexport, but also um, a couple um, not, not perfect experiences. But I, I would say this in fairness to Flexport or anybody else. International shipping is going to have issues from time to time. It just is. And, you know, in the last, you know, on average, my team is clearing around 25 containers a week uh, for our various things. So just imagine that, you know, you're clearing, uh, that's without peak stuff, by the way, you know, clearing 20, 25 containers a week. And there's going to be issues. It's just, it's just going to be a part of what happens. And so part of it is how a company deals with the issues. It's not just did they have the issues, but it's how did they respond? And did they make you feel like they were part of the process of the solution instead of part of the problem. And, and, you know, I would, I would just say that in the international freight business, there's going to be issues. You can't avoid issues entirely. I mean, I have a very big, you know, an, an experienced team and we still get issues. So I, I just want to give everybody the chance to realize that, you know, you may face some issues, but it's how the company responds to it. That's the measure of the company in my mind, not just, did an issue arise and and you know if you do have issues consistently then then you have to look at making a change for sure um and and it's always wise to check prices one one bit of advice i would give you on international freight in particular for everybody listening and this doesn't matter who you use is you got to keep them honest you got to get quotes from time to time from other resources and keep them honest because slowly but surely they'll inch it up they'll inch it up and they also have a habit of sending in all kinds of little bonus fees and expenses that you weren't ex uh, ex expecting, excuse me. And those unexpected little surprises, also known as accessorial charges or other charges like that, are a terrible surprise. And it's not uncommon for us to argue about, you know, 80, 90, $100,000 worth of accessorial charges over the course of a, just one, one quarter. And uh, so how you have your you know, relationship with that particular supplier or freight provider is very important. And then how you kind of keep them honest is also important. So uh, anyway, I hope that's helpful. As you guys know, I love entrepreneurs. Um, I think the world is better because of entrepreneurs just like you. And I hope you guys are doing everything you can out there to, you know, make your business successful um, and also helping, you know, the, the people around you uh, be successful. You know, I definitely believe in pay it forward. So we're going to wrap for today. I hope that answered your questions. Uh, I know all the people who submitted questions beforehand. Uh, I've got into those in more depth. And uh, Ted, again, um, I appreciate you answer or asking the live question. And uh, uh, I think it was Taylor as well. I can't scroll back. Apologies. Maybe I can. 
There's Caesar. Hi, Caesar. Oh, Tyler. Hi, Tyler. Uh, uh, you asked the question of uh, what size companies they, they can help. So uh, the, there are lots of companies designed to help everything from less than container load, which is what I see a lot of FBA sellers doing. They're not doing full containers, they're doing less than containers, which is great. That's, you know, relatively inexpensive, certainly compared to air. And most of these companies will help do LCL, FCL, that's full container load, or air. And just a reminder for everybody, there's lots of different kinds of air. Just because you say you're shipping air doesn't mean you're paying one set rate. There's the remnant air freight. There's the, you know, UPS has a whole division called um, UPS Supply Chain. And that is a totally separate division that from their, their general air freight. And when we get air freight quotes from UPS Supply Chain, they're way less than UPS Air. I mean, like 50% less, 60% less. And one of the reasons is that it goes on a space available basis. So there's just so many ways of doing this. And I just want to remind everybody, you know, especially if you've only been doing it, you know, a year, two years, three years, four years. I know the guys doing it four or five years are like, hey, I've been around, uh, you know, I've been doing this four or five years. Uh, this is my 30th year in business and over 20 years online. I've been around the block. I got a lot of smart people around me who are far smarter than me, and they've been around the block a couple of times too. Experience really does have value in this business, and uh, I hope each of you are are gaining um, experience. Okay, so now I'm having to turn my head to read the question. Uh, Tyler asks, uh, maybe address this, but how concerned should we be about the tariffs war going on right now? So fair question, Tyler. Uh, you're not the only one worried about tariffs, I'm sure. Uh, in a recent awesomers.com podcast episode, I talked about China and some of the, the tariff war issues in more detail, but I'm just going to share just the brief overview for those uh, watching live or, or uh, perhaps listening to the playback. So tariffs and, and trade wars in general go in cycles. These cycles happen on a regular basis. And if this is your first cycle, then it's like panic inducing and you're like, holy crap, what does this mean? What's going to happen? But it's, it's not as bad as people think. First of all, tariffs, if they apply to you, uh, they apply to your competition most likely, who's also likely sourcing from China. Uh, tariffs are not limited to China, by the way. There are tariffs impacting you know, Europe and Canada and Mexico and, and so forth. This is a positioning by the United States of saying, hey, we're trying to negotiate a better trade deal, so we're going to um, you know, put these roadblocks up. And then the other guys are responding in kind and saying, fine, we'll just put on tariffs too. You know, nobody wins. But I can tell you that I think China is more susceptible to tariffs uh, going away sooner. And the reason is uh, the stock market in China is already down 18% this year. Uh, there's a lot of panic in China about it, uh, even though they won't admit that, that that would you know cause them to lose face. There's a lot of uncertainty. Even if you don't want to call it panic, there's a lot of uncertainty in China. And many industrial, big industrial companies are moving stuff to Vietnam and Malaysia and Cambodia and other places just to hedge against tariffs. So big industries will move faster because the impact is, is worse and uh, faster to be felt. Uh, Walmart just last week uh, recommended to some of their beauty suppliers to uh, that sell shampoo and things like that, lotion, to move out of China uh, to uh, eliminate some of the tariffs. And this is part of the battle. If, if your product is easily sourced in Vietnam or uh, Malaysia or Thailand or South Korea, then you should consider some of those alternative sources as just a backup plan. 
Um, I'll give you one example. The the 10% tariffs that were announced maybe about a month, uh, six weeks ago, perhaps, that it said, hey, we're going to do $200 billion worth of imports, and they're going to have a 10% tariff. Now, that got almost all of my items. And we looked at it, and we're like, eh, 10%. You know, it happens to everybody. It's not the end of the world. And we also know that China will discount some of this. So they, China is going to react to some of this by offering you discounts. And by the way, if you haven't gone to China in the last year to get a discount, you're missing a 10 or 12% currency shift. All right, listen up on that. If you haven't got pricing renewed in the last year from your supplier, the currency has changed to, you know, to the US dollar favor by over 10%. That's 10% they can give you right off the bat. So we are getting, even in advance, uh, of these tariffs going into effect, suppliers giving uh, pricing concessions, not just for currency, but also for um, the anticipated tariffs. We think the Chinese government is going to support those exports, which is only going to lead to the next round of tariff tit-for-tat battle. So uh, my, my answer to you, Tyler, which has turned into a long answer, my apologies, don't be that concerned about it. Think about sourcing elsewhere just as a, a matter of you know, if the world comes to an end kind of thing. But don't be in a panic about it. Uh, if you're interested in learning more, uh, one of the awesomers.com episodes was about China, and you can go take a listen to that. Um, I, don't, I apologize, I don't remember the number. Uh, Spencer, if you remember the number and you're listening, you could post that in the, the live comments. So thanks, everybody. We've gone on about an hour now. I hope this is instructive. I, again, apologize that I'm sideways for those uh, listening to uh, Facebook or watching Facebook. Um, we're going to do these from time to time. I hope you guys engage. I hope you ask questions and I hope you find most of all value in these. And by the way, I hope you check out the awesomers.com podcast. Uh, why not go take a listen, listen to episode one so you can hear the, the vision, mission and values. And, uh, heck you can leave us a review. We're not opposed to that. Uh, believe it or not, reviews really do help. Um, and thank you, Spencer, awesomers.com slash nine for the China episode, uh, recently recorded. Uh, reviews really do help uh, rank on iTunes, and um, you know, so we could we could definitely use your support there. And and so far, there hasn't been a review purge on iTunes, <laughs> so uh, you know, here's hoping. Thanks again, everybody. We'll be back right after this. Catalyst eighty eight was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long term goals in e commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. A giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. Well, I hope you got some value out of today's episode. Anytime we do a back talk, yeah, there's kind of some technical issues because we're doing live uh, interactions with people. And in this case, we also broadcast live on Facebook and, and to get a little bit more interaction and a little bit more kind of engagement. So we're going to do more of these. And in fact, we'll probably add some fun, like adding some game shows that everybody can kind of log in and participate in. It's going to be a really fun time. And I hope that you're here for another Backtalk Live episode. And by the way, be, you know, come prepared to these episodes. Bring questions. Uh, in fact, you can bring answers and say, hey, you know, I had a situation. I'd like to share it, Steve. And we'll get you on there. And, you know, sometimes if you're shy, you can just submit the things in writing, but via the chat window or email or whatever the case may be. But if you say, no, this is complex and I would love to, you know, get on camera or get on the uh, mic, uh, we're happy to, you know, get you along for this ride. 
you know, this is not a single man operation over here. This is a big team operating this podcast. And ultimately, we're here to serve the community. You know, I love entrepreneurs. And I, I, I just love people who are trying to break the paradigms of normal and become awesomer. And I'm glad you are here for this awesomer journey. Now, don't forget, this was episode number 37 of the Awesomers.com podcast series. And to find the show notes, all you have to do is go to Awesomers.com slash 37. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at Awesomers.com. Thank you again. Awesomers.com.